In God's words, it says, Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness, in perfect faithfulness, you have done wonderful things. Things planned long ago. That's God's word in Isaiah 25, verse 1. And God's faithfulness and love is so fierce for us. Church, I don't know if you were awake, if you're awake this morning, but we had a planned deficit of $200,000. And we now ended the year with just $2,000. That is reason for praise. That is reason for thanksgiving. God isn't just faithful. He is perfect in his faithfulness. So let's pray this morning. Lord God, we are so grateful for your faithfulness, your fierce faithfulness and love for us, Lord God. God, we come before you this morning grateful for who you are. We come before you this morning worshiping and praising you because of your fierce love your fierce intentionality for us, Lord God. You care for us so well, and we are so thankful. Thank you, God, for being so good and gracious to us. God, we pray and lift up our church this morning, God. Lord, for those who are coming, who are battling illnesses, whether it's cancer or um, other chronic illnesses or diseases, Lord, we lift them up to you, knowing you are fierce in your healing power. God, we lift up our community to you, as Elder Erica shared, for our students at North High, for those who are grieving the loss of a friend, a classmate, a few weeks ago, and those who are <clears throat> that whole community at North High, teachers, students, staff, administration, Lord, as someone shot into their building this past week, Lord, we are thankful that you are fierce in your protection of those students, God. But we know that you also desire peace, and so we ask for that, Lord. In just fierce abundance, we ask for your peace. God, we thank you and celebrate the volunteers in our church as we celebrate them this morning. We thank you for all the ways that they have served faithfully and intentionally, Lord, we thank you for the ways that they build up our community, God. God, we pray for those this past week who were um, shocked and rattled and um, even lost life in Kenya as they witnessed that terrible attack on Tuesday, God. Lord, there is so much that we bring to you this morning, ways that we cry out, grieve, are confused, also, reasons that we praise and, and, and are so grateful, and we see your steadfast love and your faithfulness. So we bring all of that to you this morning, God, knowing that you hear us, that you're with us, knowing that you are a good God, knowing that you care for us and love us, knowing that you also call us to be your peace here on earth, Lord. So God, may you continue to equip us to empower us with your Holy Spirit to do your work and your will here on earth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, church. 
It's good to be with you this morning. My name is Pastor Rose. I serve as one of the associate pastors here at Sanctuary, and it is good to be together as always. Good to encourage each other in worship. Amen. Well, as um, Elder Erica shared the exciting news, we are grateful, so grateful. As Pastor Edrin shared also, we want to celebrate our volunteers, so please come into the green room um, and, and share in that meal after church today. We're so grateful for you. Well, last week we began a sermon series called Beautiful Outlaw. Now, this series takes the major themes from John Eldridge's book, Beautiful Outlaw, and in this series, we hope to set a foundation for our 2019 theme, which is Live Jesus. And as Pastor Edron shared in the last two weeks, in our 2019 theme of Live Jesus, we want to intentionally ask what it means to live in Jesus, to live for Jesus, to live like Jesus, to live with Jesus this year in a deeper way. So that, just, that Jesus doesn't become just an idea that we talk about on a Sunday morning together, but that Jesus continues to be our whole purpose, our whole vision. We want to know Jesus more deeply, trusting that as we know Jesus more deeply, that we will also be led further into our mission to be an urban, multi-ethnic, multiplying church. And we want the world to see the real Jesus when they see us. Amen? We want the world to see the real Jesus. Well, as Pastor Edron began our sermon series in Beautiful Outlaw last Sunday, he shared an outline of some of, the, some of the topics, some of the facets of Jesus. So you'll see on the screen that last week we talked about how Jesus was playful, that he was funny, that yes, Jesus liked to have a good time, and that maybe Jesus even played a few practical jokes on his disciples. Today we'll talk about how Jesus is intentionally fierce. That Jesus felt angry, just like we do. And that Jesus had a reason for his anger. We'll also discover how Jesus is extravagantly generous, disruptively honest. Jesus is scandalous. He's cunning. Jesus is true, and Jesus is beautiful. So in this series, our prayer week after week is simply this, that Jesus, I ask for you. We ask for you, Jesus. We ask for the real you. Now, I still remember the moment when my therapist told me you have to allow yourself to be angry. Ugh. Her words that day pierced me. I probably, like you, have a very complicated relationship with anger. Now, I've internalized the message that uh, people, especially good Christian women, shouldn't show anger. That it's a negative emotion. That it's not kind that it's a sign that you can't control yourself, that anger is bad. But we know that anger is much more complex than just that. Because on the one hand, unchecked, explosive, spontaneous anger is toxic. It's dangerous. It can be abusive and hurtful. 
And on the other hand, anger tells us an important message if we can understand it. Anger is trying to tell us something if we have the capacity and the wisdom to hear it. Now, if you know anything about the Enneagram, I'm a one. Now, as a one, that means my main motivations are to be good, to to have integrity, to have self-control, to be very organized and dependable. I have very high standards for myself and for others. And because I am motivated to be good and to have self-control, I wrestle with anger immensely. It is just this inner turmoil because I feel it, but I want to stuff it. Because we ones, we want to keep everything in because we don't want to be seen as bad to other people. We struggle immensely with self-anger because we are extremely strict with ourselves. Grace is not a word that ones uh, normally talk about too much about themselves. But anger is also complicated, uh, a complicated emotion for me personally because there's been members of my family who have used anger in very harmful and toxic and even abusive ways. So I wonder this morning, what's your relationship with anger? Because we all bring baggage as well as wisdom today. Ways that we've seen the harm and the toxicity of anger but also healthy and good examples of anger. There's also another layer of anger for us as a multi-ethnic church pursuing justice together. I know that one of the complexities for me with my relationship with anger is that I was raised in the white normative culture and I was taught that anger was bad, that I should never ever show it, that I should be in control. But of course, there's a double standard here, right? I, as a white person, can feel angry if my power and my privilege are questioned, but people of color can't be angry at the actual oppression they experience firsthand. So to my white brothers and sisters, we need to lament the reality that expressing healthy anger over injustice isn't an option for people of color in our society. That's wrong. No doubt there is complexity in oppression. That in in sexism and racism and in the majority culture, it has seen that anger is something that's dangerous and bad instead of a healthy response to injustice. Anger is a healthy response to injustice, and we should be angry at the injustice, and we should be able to express that. Amen? Can we say amen about that? So what's your relationship to anger? And how does this relate to the reason that Jesus himself was intentionally angry at times? Intentionally and righteously angry. Well, I believe that when we understand our relationship to anger, the purpose of anger, and how we steward anger in a healthy and wise way, then we'll understand Jesus in a deeper way as well. 
We'll follow Jesus more faithfully when we understand our anger. We will work further toward our mission in reconciliation when we understand our anger. Now, it's easy for us to characterize Jesus as this mild-mannered, this this passive and one-dimensional person, perpetually talking in this calm, zen-like voice, never going above a shout. But we know that wasn't true. If we open the Bible and read stories of Jesus, we will read and see the personality and the life of Jesus in a more complex way a more real way. And that's exactly what this sermon series, Beautiful Outlaw, is about. Seeing Jesus from from different angles, experiencing his complexity, and seeing what it teaches us and informs us about ourselves as we walk as disciples of him. Church, we need a multifaceted Jesus, not a one-dimensional Jesus. And the multi-ethnic church needs a multi-faceted Jesus. And not just here a sanctuary, but the global multi-ethnic church needs a multi-faceted Jesus. Otherwise, the dominant culture will surely sanitize Jesus and will surely interpret him from only one lens. The multi-ethnic church needs a multi-faceted Jesus. So this morning, we're going to be exploring how and why Jesus was intentionally fierce. What purpose did his fierce anger serve other than showing us that as well as being fully God, that he was human like us? Well, this morning, I want to read three vignettes, three passages that will hopefully help illuminate Jesus' intentionally fierce side as well as the purpose for it. We can't forget the purpose for it. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, I want you to um, open up Matthew uh, to chapter 16, and we're going to read verses 21 through 23. It will also be on the screen for you this morning. And in Jesus' fierce reaction to Peter, we'll see the first reason for Jesus' anger and intensity that Jesus was intentionally fierce to show his true identity. So in Matthew 16, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, it could be tempting for us to hear this, read this, and hear Jesus' tone in a suppressed and lifeless way to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block. But I don't think that's true. It probably sounded something more like, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. Yes, Jesus raised his voice. He was passionate and heated. He was angry. He was fierce. 
And he was fierce for a reason. He wasn't just annoyed and flippantly, uh, you know, uh, flipped his lid. He was intentionally angry. He was angry because Peter didn't truly understand his identity. At the time that Jesus rebukes Peter, Jesus had led his disciples to a place, Caesarea Philippi. And early in the chapter, he asks, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And it's important that Jesus asks this question in this location, Caesarea Philippi. Because Caesarea Philippi wasn't just a casual rest up on the way. It was a city of mass religious pluralism. There were uh, temples to Baal. There was a temple to Caesar. It was known by some, believed by some, that this was the birthplace of the Greek god Pan. This place was steeping with religious pluralism and confusion. And so it's important that Jesus brings the people here, the disciples here, and asks, who is the Son of Man? And what about you? Who do you say I am? And it's here in this location of religious pluralism and confusion that Jesus' identity is clear. You, Jesus, you are the Messiah. Surrounded by all these false gods, you, Jesus, are the one true God. So it's no wonder that Jesus shares shows his fierce side with Peter here. Jesus was intentional about taking them to this spot to share his true identity, and then Peter goes and denies it. Jesus was rightfully angry. One of his closest followers still didn't understand his true identity. So we can feel a lot of empathy and kinship to Peter. How often have we misrepresented Jesus ourselves? How often have we forgot the multifaceted Jesus, this Jesus that was intentional and was fierce? How often have we sanitized Jesus? And look at who we miss as a result of that. So because of your relationship with anger, how have you sanitized Jesus? What part of Jesus' identity have we missed because we've failed to see Jesus' fierce side? Are we comfortable seeing that side of Jesus? Well, on Tuesday of this past week, we remembered what would have been Reverend Dr. Luther King Jr.'s 90th birthday. And as we remember his life and celebrate his service and his legacy and sacrifice tomorrow... We also recognize that many have sanitized Dr. King as well. The dominant culture has made him also into a one-dimensional figure. And as a result, we have missed the full identity and mission of this amazing leader in his fight for justice. Now, author, uh, award-winning journalist, and a fellow covenanters of our denomination, Ed Gilbreth, wrote an amazing book on Dr. King and his challenge to the church. It's called Birmingham Revolution. And in it, he writes this. Unfortunately, King is known more today as a poetic patron saint of racial harmony 
as well as I'd even interject the colorblind movement, instead of a provocative prophet of social justice. Someone who by the end of his life had managed to get on just about everyone's last nerve. Now this doesn't sound like a passive leader casually hoping that justice is going to just magically happen, does it? It doesn't sound like the colorblind leader that I was led to believe as a child. This doesn't sound like a purposeless person. Dr. King has become what his uh, historian Tim Tyson says, an innocuous black Santa Claus, genial and vacant, a benign vessel that can be filled with whatever generic good wishes the occasion dictates. If we want to truly honor the Reverend Dr. King, we need to understand his full identity as a man and as a leader of justice. And if we miss the full complexity of Dr. King, then what do we miss about his mission and his purpose? What do we miss about the movement that he was fighting to lead? What do we miss, church? I believe we miss all of it. I believe we miss it all. Now for Jesus, intentionally fierceness served a purpose. In fact, this is why his anger is healthy and wise, because he understood, he understood it, he understood how to use it in a helpful way. Because if we understand anger, then we understand its purpose. Often anger in its best form, anger in its best form is a critique. It's a helpful criticism that something isn't right. But can we always pay attention and hear that? Now, of course, there is, of course, anger that's misguided, anger that's toxic, pent up, that, that has the potential to hurt and to harm people. That is not what I'm talking about here. So please don't go home and hear me saying that explosive, hurtful, abusive anger is okay because I'm not saying that. Unchecked anger has called, caused many of us very deep pain. That's not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is that anger happens to all of us and that it's not bad in and of itself if we consciously allow ourselves to understand and express that anger. So how can anger be healthy? What was the purpose of Jesus' anger? Well, the second story that I want to read this morning is from uh, John chapter 2. It's in verses 13 through 17. And we see in this story how Jesus' anger is a helpful criticism to injustice. And we'll see the second reason for Jesus' fierceness, that Jesus was intentionally fierce to condemn corruption. John 2, uh, verses 13 through 17 says this. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at the tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. 
his disciples remember that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Now this story of Jesus cleansing the temple is not one that we can read while we're watching Marie Kondo. Jesus wasn't tidying up the temple. He wasn't taking every dove in his hands and asking if it sparked joy. No. This is calculated, intentional, absolutely, but it's intense. This is an intense scene, and this scene quickly erupts and is over in an instant when we read it. But there's intentionality behind it because Jesus took the time to walk into the temple. He observed what was happening around him. He took the time to even make a a whip of cords. He took the intentional time to search out for that cord, to weave it together, and then he drives out animals. And it's not just a few doves and a few goats, but there are herds of cows and sheep. This was planned. This was intentional. This was fierce. But it doesn't end there. It continues. The animals are scrambling over each other. Their their hooves are probably sliding underneath them. Small and large animals are clumsily following over each other. And a stampede has now erupted in the temple. Then he takes the coins. He takes the coins from the money changers and he sends them flying. And that's not just like a few, you know, pocket change. It is hundreds of coins. And no doubt, men are, are scrambling over each other, trying to re- retrieve their money, as well as take the opportunity to take more than what they came with, right? It's wild. This scene is wild. And can you imagine the noise? Can you imagine the chaos? But what's the purpose? Why was Jesus so fierce in this scene? Jesus was intentionally fierce to condemn the corruption that was happening in the temple. There was corruption happening in the the temple, his father's house. Now the money changers, this was a term for the men who, who were making their living through extortion, through exploitation, exploiting the poor. They were corrupt. They were creating a barrier of access for the poorest. And Jesus is angry here because it's centered on corruption. It's centered on injustice. So we should read this and ask, what cleansing do we need to do of corruption? What barriers have we created or are we trying to create that exclude What corruption do we see, but we're not actively trying to cleanse it? Or we're not actively speaking out against it with an intentional fierceness like Jesus? If we miss Jesus' anger, we're so uncomfortable with anger, we can't see Jesus' anger, then we miss the object of his anger. Corruption, greed, sin, injustice, exclusion. Jesus was intentionally fierce because he was grieved over this injustice. So what role does anger play in our pursuit of justice? 
Now, that is a loaded question to ask in 21st century America. How have we at Sanctuary either allowed or denied anger to play a role in our pursuit of justice? Are we so uncomfortable with it we can't allow anger to be a part of our movement forward in reconciliation? If anger has been seen as an unacceptable emotion by the dominant culture, then how will we ever authentically name injustices and heal from their wounds if we don't let anger be a part of the var- a variable? So again, I ask, what's your relationship with righteous anger? Dr. King's relationship with anger shed a great deal of light on the purpose of his mission and the movement that he led. His understanding of anger highlights the complex work of justice. Again, in Ed Gilbreth's book, uh, Birmingham Revolution, he devotes an entire chapter to Dr. King's relationship with anger. It's called An Angry Dr. King. And it's an important read, one that we must grapple with if we're really dedicated to the long road of racial repair in America. And Dr. King had a lot to be angry about. He endured so much death threats, bomb blasts, a stabbing, incarceration, and that was just the most prominent. Of course, he endured daily racism and aggression. But in one interview, there was an instance where where Dr. King recalled an incredibly painful event. It was at the age of 14 when he was traveling with his teacher, Mrs. Sarah Bradley, from Atlanta to uh, uh, Dublin, Georgia. And there he was participating in a speech contest, which of course he won. And And he was on a late night bus back to Atlanta. And after they were exhausted from the eventful day, they took their seats on the bus. And after a stop in a small town and some, a handful of white passengers boarded the bus, the driver commanded the young Dr. King and his teacher to move. Now Dr. King stayed planted in his seat. And as a result, the bus driver spewed profanities at them. And feeling rightfully indignant, Dr. King continued to sit in a seat. But finally, his teacher convinced him that they should move, stating that they had to obey the law. Now, Dr. King and his teacher had to stand for the rest of that 90-mile trip. And Dr. King said that he will never forget that moment as the angriest moment of his life, and for good reason. In a commentary on Dr. King's relationship with anger, one, prof- one professor wrote about his leadership and said that anger wakes them up and makes them pay attention to what's wrong in their environment. Without anger, they would not have the awareness or the drive to fix what is wrong. Now, church, I am deeply convicted by this because I know that my relationship with anger has not always been this intentional. I don't think it's always held this kind of awareness, and that's something to repent of. But as we remember Dr. King's life and legacy, as we understand the complexity of his leadership, instead of a sanitized version of him, we see that the methods of his leadership were so intentional. His methods of nonviolence did not mean that he was passive. Instead, he was very active. 
He was principled. He was love-centered. He was rightfully angry. And his anger shed light on the purpose of his leadership. And he talked at length about how the growth and understanding of his anger caused him to reject bitterness and instead fuel the work and the pursuit of justice. But we know that even the anger that Dr. King did express was probably just the tip of the iceberg because I'm sure he knew as a black man in the 60s that he had to play the dominant culture's rules. He had to play by their rules, and, and that is reason to lament today because it is right to be angry about injustice. Both Jesus' intentional anger and cleansing the temple And Dr. King's anger of racism and other evils sheds light on the purpose of anger. It sheds light on the purpose of our anger and how we can use it as an object that propels our work forward in justice and reconciliation. That we can use anger to critique justice. That we can use anger to transform our action steps. That we can use anger to fuel love for the long haul for justice. So what's your relationship with anger? Are you angry this week simply because of a razor ad that rightfully challenges toxic masculinity? Or are you angry that a group of boys who are supposedly supporting the pro-life movement were instead blatantly disrespecting the personhood of an indigenous leader elder, and veteran by mocking him. What are we mad about? We better be angry, church. There are things we better be angry about. And if we don't feel the weight and the depth of anger at corruption and injustice, then we'll never understand Jesus' fierce intentionality. We'll never understand fully Jesus' fierce intentionality. And we won't understand the object, the purpose of his anger. The object of his anger was injustice because he was relentless. Jesus was relentless to pursue his mission to glorify his Father and to show love. So our final passage as we look at Jesus' intentionally fierce side is from Luke chapter 9. And our final point this morning is Jesus was intentionally fierce because he was relentless to pursue his mission. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus is in the midst of his earthly mission. He has had time with his disciples. He's taught them. He's performed miracles. He's taught to crowds of people. And now his mission starts to narrow. In verses 51 through 56, we see an intensely Focus Jesus on the mission that he came to fulfill. And in verse 51, it says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who, were, who went into the Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. 
Well, this passage can be, it can be easily abrupt and confusing when we read it. What is Jesus doing here? It's, it's confusing. But in verse 51, it says that Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. This word in here signifies something very important. It's a shift in the narrative up until now. It's this shift, and it implies Jesus' resoluteness for his mission. His mission to do his Father's will, to bring about complete restoration through his death and his resurrection. His mission of sacrificial love was almost complete. And we see in Luke 9, this Jesus who is fiercely intent on that mission. And we see the fullness of Jesus' love, the fierceness of his love before he was given up to death. Now at the Last Supper with his disciples, he said some incredibly surprising and confusing even words. Words like, my body will be broken for you. My blood will be shed for you. Surely those words with his friends as they were gathered around him were filled with a fierce intentionality. Now they may not have been at the same volume as when he was rebuking Peter or cleansing the temple, but his words were filled with a passion, a passion for the mission that he was sent to fulfill. So Jesus can, so church, can you feel Jesus' relentless and fierce pursuit of his mission? Can we feel the enormity of Jesus' sacrifice that he was willing to experience because of his relentless pursuit of his mission? Jesus was intentional, and he was set on it. Now, on April 3rd, 1968, the night before he was assassinated, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his final sermon in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, as he began that speech, he thanked the crowd for the de their determination to join him because there was the storm raging outside. But as he encouraged them to persevere with him in the fight for justice, you can hear his relentless pursuit of his mission. That even in the midst of great trial and pain, he stated, we are determined to gain our rightful place in God's world. We are determined. Now, Dr. King knew his mission, and he was relentless to follow it. Even if it meant pain, even if it meant sacrifice, he put aside self-preservation for the mission of equality and integration. So church, let's pause this moment. Let's pause for a moment today and let's hear and listen, listen to his intense and relentless pursuit. All we say to America is be true to what you said on paper. If I lived in China or even Russia or any totalitarian country, Maybe I could understand some of these illegal injunctions. Maybe I could understand the denial of certain basic First Amendment privileges because they haven't committed themselves to that over there. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly. Somewhere I read of the freedom of speech. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read 
that the greatness of America is the right to protest far right. And so just as I say we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around, we aren't going to let any injunction turn us around. what will happen now we've got some difficult days ahead but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop I don't mind like anybody I would like to live a long life longevity has its place but I'm not concerned about that now I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Church, Dr. King's words should give us pause this morning. So again, I want to ask you, what's your relationship with righteous anger? Is it mature and wise? Is it intentional like Dr. King? Is it intentional that it fuels a mission, that it's purposeful? Do we allow our righteous anger to help us understand something that is wrong, something that needs attention, or does it control us and harm other people? How are we intentionally fierce like Jesus? I want to invite the worship team as we begin to wrap up. In addition to the ways in which Jesus was intentionally fierce, Jesus was also intentionally fierce in his love. This morning we could look at countless ways that Jesus is fierce in his love for us. Scripture says that that God knew us, that God loved us before we were even formed in our mother's womb. That throughout scripture, we see this relentless pursuit by God because of God's deep and perfect love for us. That Jesus is so fierce that scripture says that he will leave the 99 to pursue the one that's fallen away. God is so intentional from the moment sin devastated creation. God already had a plan of restoration in place. And through Jesus' fierce love for us, Through his relentless pursuit of God's mission, he gave up his very self for us. But in his righteous anger, his fierceness didn't even stop there. Even in death, Jesus was fierce. Now can you imagine him descending into hell, knocking on Satan's door? And you know it wasn't a polite, um, yes, 
Satan, are you, are you there? No. It sounded something like, bam, 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 open up. I've defeated death. It's got no power anymore. Love has won. Satan, your time is up. Death is no more. Can you imagine fierce Jesus? Do you know Jesus' fierce love for you? Church, I pray deeply that Jesus' fierce, intentional, relentless love is something that not only you know and experience, but something you offer to the world. I want to invite our prayer team to come forward. If you don't know Jesus' fierce love for you, our prayer team will be here to pray with you, to be the hands and the loving embrace that Jesus is to us. Because we need Jesus' fierce love. So church, let's stand as we worship together Jesus' fierce and amazing, intentional love for us.